Thank you, Robert. I appreciate that. Very kind introduction. And I'm kind of amazed how you can pack this, the main room at the State Bar headquarters every year. And there are even a fair number of people in the overflow room, Robert. I had a chance to have lunch in, in the overflow room, and it's uh, fairly well populated, too. So that is amazing. I'm somewhat relieved that this year you're not having the more Ingram dancing troop set up right over here. Was that last year or year before last? But for some of you that come to this conference every year, um, you will have vivid memories of, of that. And I have been in counseling ever since then, and I think I'm over that. But, um, but anyway, we're very glad to be here today. Um, there's someone that's not here uh, from the state board that is usually here at this conference, and it's my fellow appellate court judge and director of the board, uh, Judge Elizabeth Gobiel, who as of a week ago, she was appointed by uh, and selected and sworn in by the governor to serve on the Georgia Court of Appeals. So she has moved up to a higher court. We will miss her at the State Board of Workers' Compensation and in our workers' compensation system. She was a very astute legal scholar, workers' compensation law, and one of our best uh, legal writers and researchers that we've had at the board in a long time. So we will miss her, but very appropriate selection for her to go to the Court of Appeals. And uh, for this conference, um, I believe it's, uh, yeah, it'll be his first time to be here, and he is here, our other uh, director, who was appointed by the governor on July 1 of last year, so came in right after this June conference last year, is Judge Ben Vinson, and he's standing in the back of the room uh, next right next to our chief hearing judge, David Alcohart. And so Judge Vinson, uh, thank you. Judge Vinson has done a great job for the State Board of Workers' Compensation since he came out of uh, private practice as well uh, when the governor asked him if he would serve the state of Georgia by serving on the appellate division as a director of the state board. So he's doing a great job. And then there's a lot of things going on at the state board. Because last week, the governor uh, swore in Judge Gobiel to the Court of Appeals, and then later that afternoon, he went ahead and made the appointment for a new appellate court judge at the State Board of Workers' Compensation to replace Judge Gobiel, and that is will be uh, sworn in July 1st, uh, Judge uh, Terry Chastain, and he is executing the uh, Speaker David Ralston's office, where he had been serving as general counsel for the past five years, and prior to that was in private practice, and he is coming to the State Board. So we'll have, uh, fortunately for us, and I thank the governor for this, and we'll have our full complement of our three board director members uh, in very, very short order as of July the 1st. So we're in good shape there. <clears throat> Affecting you directly in the handling of workers' compensation cases in Georgia is our ICMS to our filing system, which we are going to be rolling out the much-anticipated phase, and I have been talking about this for the last three years that I've been here at this conference, where you will be able to access the board's file for an individual injured employee and file directly a first report of injury or a subsequent report of injury at WC2 or a notice to controvert at WC3 or any of the board required filings, and that's going to start next month. Now, we have already started doing training at the State Board. We had a training session this, this week. We're doing some training on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And some of you, I know, that I have seen here, have participated in some of that training already. Um, but if you want to actually kind of get a head start, call the State Board 
ask for Dana Prather. She's in charge of our ICMS system. And then Dana Prather can help with your uh, setting up some training to access the board system. And there will be a way to actually file forms in the board system, even without using EDI. You'll have an option. You can still file through EDI, which many insurance companies and systems are set up that way. And then you can continue to do that. Uh, but then you can also file directly into our system and you can directly access the system and see what has been filed. And I think that once you actually do that, I think you're going to like it uh, very, very much. It's been uh, very, very well received. And so a part of that is our continued emphasis and requirement to file first reports of injuries on medical only claims. So it's all claims. And this has been statutorily required um, for, for many, many years with our code section, the Workers' Compensation Act, which is 34912, in the very first section A, requires a first report of injury be filed on every injury that's reported if any medical benefit is paid. Uh, and then, of course, in addition, lost time claims. The history of just filing first reports of injury with the state board for lost time claims dates back to when we were using paper files and it was just going to be too cumbersome to set up about 140,000 files a year because that's about what's reported in Georgia workers' compensation claims combining medical only and lost time and just setting up and filing the lost time claims which typically was anywhere from 30 to 40,000 claims a year. So we have been doing that but now in the electronic age with our ICMS there, there's no reason to distinguish since we're paperless between those two and so we're going to comply with the legislature statute requiring that all medical only and lost time claims be filed with the state board. So uh, please start doing that. That will help the state of Georgia. That will help the state board of workers' compensation to get much more accurate data on claims actually being reported and filed and those dollar amounts that are spent on medical and the type of medical treatment in addition to what the data that we have already on uh, lost time claims. It will just give us more accurate, precise data, which helps and a lot of the policy-making decisions that have to be made throughout the year in the workers' compensation system. And then that statute that I mentioned, the 31912, does go on to say that there will be a penalty for up to $100 for not filing the form uh, on, for per occurrence. And so all this is, is coming down the pike, and so it just would be best to get uh, to start filing first reports of injury on all claims uh, with the state board and filing that into our system. Now, Robert mentioned um, a legislative bill that was introduced during the session. As this bill was originally introduced, it didn't have anything to do with workers' compensation. It had to do with the Department of Labor. It had to do with some... Um, FBI background checks on our folks employed by the Department of Labor. Uh, but Robert mentioned there was an amendment made to it and that did have a tremendous potential impact on our entire workers' compensation system in the state of Georgia. Because the amendment that was introduced, and you gotta understand, appreciate how this was done. You know, Georgia, we just have a 40-day legislative session. The legislature starts first week of January, meets for 40, not consecutive days, but 40 days, pretty much consecutive. But 
Uh, typically, January, February, and some date in March, they have finished up with 40 days of the legislative session. So it's always a big deal when the last day of the session gets there, and a lot of these kind of build to the last day of the session. The last day of the session is very, very busy. It always goes till midnight. There's a lot of chaos uh, in, in the uh, in the Capitol there that day. And late in the afternoon, this amendment was introduced, and, and nobody knew about this amendment. Not, neither one of the two workers' compensation jurisdictional committees, the House Industry and Labor Committee and the Senate Insurance and Labor Committee, which has jurisdiction over all things workers' compensation, neither one of those committees knew anything about the bill, did not go through either one of those committees. Just a very small number of people involved. Between the hours of 4.30 p.m. and 7.30 p.m., this amendment went through the system and it, it passed. And it basically took away the rulemaking authority, which is statutorily granted to the State Board of Workers' Compensation. And we have a rules committee made up of segments of all segments of the workers' compensation system that meet throughout the year, discuss the rules, make recommendations, do a phenomenal job uh, for the entirety of the workers' compensation system. And, and that essentially was going to be taken away uh, from the state board. And so when we read that amendment, we were, why in the world was that? Why was it introduced? Why was it passed? Uh, we're still digesting that, but there was um, a strong reaction to that during the entire month of April and during the time that the governor has in which to veto a bill. And the governor vetoed it and issued a very, really excellent statement of the, why he vetoed the bill. And a lot of it had to do with, we do have an excellent workers' compensation system in Georgia, and we have this advisory council process that meets throughout the year to discuss and vet all sorts of ideas that are presented regarding workers' compensation, uh, some of which have a lot of merit, um, but for one reason or another, maybe there's not a consensus to implement that. So it's, but it's thoroughly discussed and vetted, and, and that's a good thing. That is one of the strengths of our workers' compensation system. And so what I heard, sadly, um, is that there was a little bit of an underground current by some individuals, a few, I hope a few, that one of the things that the board has been working on and very concerned about is the opioid crisis in Georgia, which is a national crisis. The over-prescribing of opioid class medications, the overuse, the misuse, the addiction rates, the abuse, all of the problems that we have seen, and they are many, and it's certainly not unique to Georgia, but we are the 11th state in the nation for drug overdose-related deaths, and that does include uh, both illegal and legal uh, prescription-type drugs and overdose deaths related. We know that two years ago, 8.7 million opioid prescriptions were written in the state of Georgia. We're a state of only 10.4 million people. That's 8.7 million prescriptions, anywhere from a 30 to 90 day pill supply. We know that three out of four workers' compensation injured employees who have not had surgery, but who have been to see a treating physician and have complained of experiencing pain received a prescription for opioid class drugs, three out of four, 75%. We also know that 30% of those individuals who received that opioid prescription in the workers' compensation system didn't even know that they had received a prescription for an opioid. Weren't really aware of what the type of the medicine was. They knew they complained of pain, they received a prescription for some pain medicine, but 30% didn't even know 
It was an opioid, morphine-equivalent type drug. So we've been working, and we work with all the stakeholders in the system, um, including our medical community, our medical committee, which has uh, medical doctors on it, has insurance company representatives on it, has employers, has defense attorney, climate attorney uh, representatives, have been discussing they're all, all the different things that the state, all the 50 states in the nation have done. We've, we've seen a number of different avenues and approaches taken to try to deal with opioids. And, and a lot of things have been discussed. One of the things that, uh, as of today, 10 states have enacted was a drug formulary regarding opioid class drugs. Some states enacted a formulary that applied to all prescription drugs. Some states have enacted a opioid drug formulary only. As a result of our advisory council process, considering all that, a formal recommendation was made by our medical committee last October that the board adopt a drug formulary for opioid class medications. For all these reasons that I mentioned and, and a whole lot more, I really could probably spend an hour discussing this very easily. Recommended that the board adopt an opioid class drug formulary. Major step, I think, in the right direction. Um, sound policy based on all the data, and some of the data, some of those statistics that I mentioned to you. So we were kind of starting to proceed down that path of how how would that how would that look? How would that work? A lot of questions on how you how you implement it and how that would work. And so what I heard was that that there was a certain element of folks that did not want the board to do that didn't want anything to be done about the opioid crisis in Georgia. I think, I think that's very problem, problematic. I had uh, a good example today when I got here and had lunch uh, with Robert with uh, Dr. Porter and Dr. Shardell, very supportive, as are our doctors on our medical committee, about recognizing the complexity of the opioid crisis and the virtues and the merits to drug formulary for opioid class medications. Still a lot of details to work out on that, but other states have done it. We can do it in Georgia too. Very sad that there was a certain element of folks I've heard as one articulated reason to prevent the board from going down that path of implementing opioid drug formulary would be to take away our rulemaking authority that we would be able to do it without that. So, aware of that, uh, I think it's going to be a legislative item. I think our, I think our advisory council is going to recommend uh, through our medical committee and our rules committee and our legislative committee that we go, go through the legislature, that we get a bill similar to what these other states have adopted uh, get something very similar passed in Georgia where we could adopt an opioid drug formula that would help curtail the overprescribing of opioids. Now, now we acknowledge, and um, all of our doctors and, and Dr. Porter, Dr. Shardell, will, will all, we all agree that there is a definite place for opioid class medications. There is a definite appropriate and reasonable prescribing pattern for opioids, and they play a very significant role. The problem has been that we've seen in Georgia since the 1990s is just 
the explosion of the overprescribing, how we got to 8.7 million prescriptions. And that just is something that, that cannot go on and has got, got to change. And so working on that is, is one of our uh, primary goals. Um, and we're going to be continuing to work on that throughout the rest of this year and as we head into next legislative session and talking to the various uh, legislators involved, what, what we do realize is that all of us in this room handling workers' compensation cases, and you're aware of the problem, you see it in claim files that you handle, um, we're kind of out in front of a lot of other people on, on the seriousness of the crisis and, and seeing it on a day-to-day -day basis in our job, and so we do have to do an awful lot of, awful lot of education, um, although, you can hardly pick up the newspaper these days without reading an article about the uh, opioid overprescribing. So it, it, uh, at least it is on the radar of everybody, I think, at this point in time. So hopefully that will go very, very smooth. So that's, that's all I, that's, I think is really significant to what, to what you do uh, in handling workers' compensation cases and identifying those issues. And, and, uh, you know, our goal is to try to prevent one more person. I mean, starting today, we could wave the magic wand and do it today. Start today, if a new claim actually happens today, prevent that injured employee from being overprescribed, getting addicted, overusing, abusing, all the problems that we see going forward. We all know we've still got all these claims that were legacy claims, or will be legacy claims, where the overprescribing has already taken place and have that effect. Those have got to be handled and treated differently. We're trying to, to get those uh, dosages reduced, do some weaning off of that, to do some substitution. It's a multi-pronged solution to that. What, we're, what we were seeing through the CDC recommended guidelines and the other national organizations in the medical community is you can't just stop prescribing opioid to somebody that's on a high level dosage. You've got to do several things. You've got to gradually, you've got to wean down, gradually reduce, you've got to do some substitution of drugs and other things. And there has to be an education component. There has to be some amount of counseling, some kind of cognitive behavioral type therapy that's part of this prop part of the solution to the problem. It's a multi-pronged solution to the problem. And I think we've gotten some recommendations that there's some uh, amount of, of certain amount visits numbers on the on the counseling educational side. I think that's a critical role. We're going to have to address that as an industry and acknowledge that's got to be a piece of the solution to the opioid crisis problem, which in the long run will will be cheaper, will lower that cost impact of not just financial cost impact, but that cost impact to that injured employees to themselves, to their family, when they go down that path, we all know the data that shows chances of coming back to work after an addiction problem, which can occur after, can occur in a very short period of time. That's why some states have enacted three to seven day initial prescription limits, because we get into 21 days or longer, there can be uh, addiction already taking place in the opioids, and we know that out of work 30 days and on opioids at that time, the, data coming back to work uh, rockets to the bottom. And, uh, very, very difficult to overcome. So we've got a lot of issues to try to overcome on that. The, uh, um, Kentucky just passed one this year. A lot of people thought Kentucky would never get a uh, drug formulary passed in their legislature. They just did this year. Massachusetts just passed 
an opioid drug formulary after discussing all the things I just mentioned uh, through their House bill and they're continuing on with their Senate, their legislature still in session meeting. And so we're seeing more and more states uh, going this route to adopt it and uh, that's what we're trying to do uh, as best for our overall system as possible. Last thing I'll mention is uh, kind of as a plug for our Kids Chance of Georgia organization. I think many of you are familiar with Kids Chance. The reason I mention it to you today is because you're handling those claims where an injured employee might have been killed, died as a result of their injury, or maybe it is a really severe catastrophic claim. And if you're not familiar with Kids Chance, that is a college scholarship program made up strictly by donations from the state of Georgia, from individuals and businesses in the state of Georgia to help the children of those injured employees who were catastrophically injured or killed on the job to give some college scholarship help to those children. Extremely worthy organization. Started in 1988 in Georgia. Such a good organization that it has gone national. There's a Kids Chance National, Kids Chance of America in many states and their workers' compensation systems have adopted the Kids Chance program. But um, something new they're kind of doing this year is that your company or your business for a $5,000 donation to Kids Chance in Georgia can have a Kids Chance scholarship named for your company. And uh, so the, uh, the more Ingram Kids Chance scholarship would be a really good uh, would be a really good thing. That's for all all these businesses and have that scholarship named for your your business or or you personally if you want to, but your company or business um, does a really really good good service. And um, but what I want to leave you with is. is if you have a case and you've got a fatality, you know, there's nothing more disturbing to an employer and the supervisors and the co-employees than to have a fatality that happens at work. I mean, it's somebody working right next to you or you're working with, or you're an eyewitness or something like that. Uh, and then to that, to that employee and to their spouse and to their family, um, that is, there's just nothing more tolling uh, and life impacting than that. And that's one little place that, that uh, Kids Champs can step in and help in providing the college scholarship to the children of those uh, workers that are cast rock injured or killed on the job. So that, um, I will leave it with that. Robert, I'll turn it back over to you. And I appreciate the opportunity to be here today and talk to you. And I know it'll be a great afternoon, a lot of fun and uh, very educational, so thank you.